0: Our scripture today comes from Philippians three, ten through 16. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, what, you know, it's just a, it's a sermon illustration for later, now a little surgery this week, so nothing bad, I'm not on any drugs, so if I say, if I say something stupid, I'm just saying something stupid, okay. All right. Uh, but let's talk about let's talk about shoes. Whoops. This is the new Adidas just came out last month. It's the Adidas Audi 0 Audios Pro Evo 1. And it is the lightest and fastest super shoe that was ever made, weighing only 138 grams. That's like a third of a pound. It has a new forefront rocker that is designed to trigger forward momentum and increase energy return. And there is foam in the heel slingshot that locks you in. It has a heel-to-toe drop of six millimeters. The sole, the sole is completely flat with no grooves and no tread. Yeah? (laughs) Adidas just released last month only 521 pair uh, just in time for the fall marathons. The price is $600. And each shoebox has a little card that reads, it is designed for one race. (laughs) So what does it take to win the one race? And what does it take to win the one race, the only race that really counts? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you that you're with us this morning. And we need you. And would you speak to us, Lord? I mean, wow, what if you were what if you were present in this room and you were interacting with each of us? And that you were moving among us and that you were changing us. That would be amazing. Would you do something like that, Lord, in this place? We'd give you the praise and the glory. Amen. The writer of the words that Hallie read, that we just heard, Philippians 3, 10 to 16, that writer, Paul, he had a really full life. He had experienced it all. He had persecuted churches, and he had founded churches. He stood before kings and he sat in prisons. He was flogged. He had poisonous snake bites. He became blind at one point. He was shipwrecked. He traveled everywhere, even up into the third heavens. He was a preacher. He was a Pharisee. He was an apostle. He was a writer of scripture. He had done it all. And now it seems as if he is coming to the end of his life And in these verses, he is really bottom lining it. And Paul declares, here's what I am really all about. So here's our outline. And here's Paul's bottom line. Point number one, Paul's bottom line, I want to know Jesus. Point number two. But I don't know him yet. So let's look at this. Point number one, I want to know Jesus. Now our sermon is actually breaking into the middle of a sentence. That's where Chaz and I broke it up, right in the middle of a sentence. But more to the point, Paul is breaking into the middle of his own sentence. And he says, and you notice the the translators have put, at least in my version, a little dash in here that just kind of shows this break, that I may know him. Now, in the previous verses, Paul has announced, I consider everything a loss. Now, Paul, as you you look at that list that we, we looked at last week, he has quite a list of his everythings. But he says, I consider all of those things that he listed, and all of his experiences, and all of that, Everything is lost except one thing, and I want to know Jesus. And that's where we're going to start this morning. Paul makes this priority of his even clearer in the verses and the expressions that follow. In reference to knowing Christ, he uses terms like, to share with him, to become like him, to attain, to press on, to strain toward. He uses the imagery of a race to paint a mental picture for us of his effort and his desire and his focus to know Christ. Now, this is Paul's story. But I think we're supposed to enter into it and ask, what about me? In fact, in verse 15, he says, We are to think this way. So as we interact with this sermon, more importantly, as we interact this morning with the Word of God, we should be asking ourselves some questions. Seriously. What am I pursuing? What am I straining after? What am I chasing after? And how does Jesus fit into that is he the fuel to ignite my pursuits for myself or is he my pursuit to pursue knowing jesus above all else it's a it's a defiant pursuit we've used we've used that word a lot in this series the series is based on that word and this this kind of pursuit it is countercultural. This is not the way people normally think. That above all else, I want to know Jesus. In one survey, and there are many surveys asking this kind of question: What do parents what do parents really want for their kids? And there's probably no better way to figure out what we value ourselves than to answer the question, what do I really want from my kids? And in that survey, what do you think was the number one thing on the list? What was number one? You got it. Number one, I just want my kids, I just want them to be happy. I just want them to be happy. Number two, to lead a healthy lifestyle. I just want to be healthy. Three, to earn enough to enjoy a comfortable life. Four, to be successful in their career. Five, to fulfill their potential. What is our goal and our prize? If you're a parent, what do your kids see that you value, your goal and your prize? Well, for Paul, it was to know Jesus that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, this is not just academic. This is not just a belief system. This is not just the right answer to a Sunday school question. This is personal. Paul is saying, I want to know the Person who left heaven and was born as a baby and who walked on this earth and who suffered and who died and who was resurrected, conquering death. And I especially want to know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection that will breathe energy into my feeble life. The power that will strengthen me in suffering. The power that will... Empower me to overcome my sin. The one who will sustain me in a very personal way in every step of the race that I run. And that when my corpse is rotting in the ground, no matter how smelly it is, he will one day shout, wake up! Come out from the dead. Paul says, the one who does that, that's the one I want to know. That's the one I am pursuing. Letting everything else go, including happiness and health and comfort and success and reaching my potential, that I might know him. Is that what you want? Me too. That's what I want. And by the way, this knowing Jesus that we're talking about here, it, it's, not, it's not a second-hand knowledge, okay? It is not I know somebody who knows him. It's not knowing the Jesus biography. It's not knowing about him. It is one-on-one, person-to-person. you get that? So point number one, I want to know Jesus. Point number two. Wow, we're in the last point already. How about that? (laughs) Hold on. But I don't know him yet. Now, Paul, on his way to Damascus, he had a, a, a personal encounter with Jesus. You know that story. Had a personal encounter with Jesus. On another occasion, we are told that Paul was taken up into the third heaven, and he received these special revelations from the Lord himself. And he was a missionary, and he was a church planter, and he was an apostle, and he was especially chosen by God. And if there, was ever, if there was ever a man who knew the Lord, it was Paul, and that's what Paul tells us here. Paul says, I finally know Jesus completely. I have reached full spiritual maturity. After all these years, I have finally arrived. Right? Is that what he says? No, he doesn't say that. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Not that. Paul wanted to know Jesus He wanted to know the power of the resurrection. He wanted to know the fellowship of his suffering. He wanted to become like him in his death. He wanted to attain unto the resurrection. He wanted to completely conquer sin. He wanted to be completely obedient. He wanted to love God with his whole heart. But he didn't do that completely as he should. Not yet. And neither do we. Neither do we. And we get discouraged, and we get frustrated, don't we? Because man, we do the, we do the same old sins, the same old issues, giving into the same old temptations. We still have these ups and downs, spiritual lethargy and coldness, and doubts, and all of that. What's that question that the kids say in the backseat of the car fifteen minutes after you're on vacation? What do they say? I mean, that's what we say, right? That's what we say. Are we there yet? And we're not. Where's the sanctification? Where's the progress in faith? I've been a follower of Jesus for 60 years. And, and, and I'm still doing that? It's amazing to me. I mean, even this week, there were things in which at the end of the day, it's like, I can't believe this. What is with me as a follower of Jesus? Can anybody relate to this? It's frustrating, isn't it? Yet even Paul, missionary, church planner, scripture writer, apostle, super saint, says, I'm not there yet. I have not arrived. I'm still in the fight. I'm still in the struggle. It is still all incomplete. So what do we do then? Well, what did Paul do? Well, he didn't do couch potato Christian. He didn't do toss in the towel Christian. Here's what he did. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, here's where the runner language kicks in. I press on. I press on. It's the Greek word. If I could be a little Greeky geeky here. It's the word dioko, which is it's interesting. It's the same word that Paul used earlier in verse 6 when he talked about persecuting the church. That's the word. He was chasing after the church, like he had this mad passion to go after Christians, and now Paul is, same word, chasing after the things of Christ. Chasing after the things of Christ. He is pressing on to make it his own, because Christ, Paul says, Christ has made me his own. J.B. Phillips, I love this translation, translates it, But I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ has grasped me. Man, you want a reason to keep running the race? This is it. You want a reason not to quit? Not to quit when you screw it up or when you doubt or when you get discouraged or when you get confused or when you get tired? You want a reason not to quit? This is it. That Jesus grabbed me and loved me and designed the race for me and said, this is our race. Let's run. I love that phrase. Grasping the purpose for which Christ grasped me. If you're a teenager or a young adult or somebody who's just kind of got your whole life in front of you, and you want purpose, man, this is it. The purpose for which he grasped me. Well, Paul continues to share this ongoing journey in verse 13. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Now, let's pause here, and we're going to add to our outline. See? All right, we're adding to the outline. So point number one, I want to know Jesus. Point number two, I don't know him yet. And now under point number two, one thing. Now this is really relevant to our focus upon the spiritual practice of simplicity, isn't it? As we've been talking about this, this one thing language kind of comes out, and here it is, one thing. And and here's the one thing. Paul says, one thing. And here's the one thing. And I'm going to rearrange the verse a little bit. The, the one thing is to press on. The one thing is to press on and to run the race. Run the race. Paul says one thing, but there's But there's three parts to the one thing. Typical preacher, right? (laughs) Okay. So one thing, run the race. Run the race straining forward. Run the race not looking backward. Run the race propelled by the call. He's right. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Run the race straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, in this race imagery, we we understand that, don't we? We've all seen races. And for those of you who have experienced who race? Uh, we have really experienced that. What what is involved in that? Uh, the the fanaticism of racing. Don't say anything. The fanaticism, <laughs> the fanaticism of racing, the the fanaticism of 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 the shoe and and taping the toes. I used to spend so much time taping my toes and calculating the time on the splits and all of that. And then when you actually get into the race, the focus and the concentration and the pushing the pace and the breathing and the the checking your watch and you're zoned in. A number of years ago, I ran a 25K race and the goal was to do the 15 and a half miles in two hours or under, okay? And I remember that I was coming into the final straightaway and I could see the clock at the finish line and I sized up the time and the distance and I thought, wow, this is tough to hit it in two hours, but it's doable. And for the next 20 seconds, straining forward would be an apt description of what I was doing is I cross right at 2 hours I've got to get there nothing else matters Is that right I've got to get there nothing else matters the second thing the second thing is run the race not looking backward now at the entrance of the empire stadium in vancouver british columbia sits this bronze statue okay and the guy on our right here that's john landy do you see he's not looking straight ahead he's not looking straight ahead now that i should say that this race this was a big race all the way back in 1954, this was the first time that two runners who had ran the mile under four minutes in the same race, okay, two runners under four miles, okay? So you notice that John Landy on the, on the, on the right there, he is not looking straight ahead. This little backward glance over his left shoulder, okay, was just to check on Roger Bannister, who was just then past him on the other, on the other side. And he lost the race so just a little glance backwards, forgetting what lies behind your wounds, your shames, your failures, your losses your sins, your shoulda, coulda, wouldas, forgetting those things, but also forgetting your trophies and your diplomas and your promotions and your successes and your attaboys and and forgetting your spiritual achievements and your righteousnesses. Paul is saying looking back is a distraction Paul is talking about a laser focus ahead future. Look ahead to what? To what? To a completed salvation. To new kingdom arrival. To no more sin. To knowing Jesus fully. The final, full, forever. Jesus' experience. And it will be worth every step of the pressing and the straining that you put into it. Won't it? Now this is not to say that we're not engaged in the world. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we just disengage from what's going on here. But what we do is we bring the king And the new kingdom into this world. And that's part of how we run the race. So Paul's one thing. Run the race. Now there's a third sub-point. So one thing. Run the race. Straining forward. Not looking backward. Number three. Run the race. Propelled by the call. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I I just think this is so important. Let Let me create a picture. There's a race to be run. There's a course that's been laid out before us. And at the beginning of the race is the Father's call, okay? The beginning of the race is the Father's call. At the end of the race... Is God the Son's call. And in every step of the race is God the Spirit's breath in us. So at the beginning of the race, the Father's call is, You're mine. You can do this. And His electing power propels us into the race. And the Father calls, Go. And then at the end of the race, at the finish line is Jesus. And his call is come, come run. You can do this. Keep your eyes on me. I've already run this race. You can do it. And because We are in union with Christ as we run. It's like this magnet is pulling us toward Him and toward the finish line. And we are in the draft of His love. I want to know Jesus. But I don't know Him yet. But I keep running toward Him. And by the way, this is not just... This is not a call to busyness. This is not a call to, to Christian service activity and doing more and more. It's, it's not that. It may involve that, but that's, that's not what this is. I mean, when Paul was writing this, where was he? In prison, right? Sitting in a prison cell. This isn't just working, working more and working more and getting busier and getting busier. It's not that. This, this is heart work. This is heart work to know him. A number of years ago, some friends took me to a really nice restaurant in Guangzhou, China. And it was like a... It was a fancy international buffet. And I walked into this buffet and i thought well this is nice but it's not really it's not really what i expected for its reputation you know this big italian buffet it's like okay and then i realized that i was in the italian room okay and there was a french room in a japanese room and a german room and a korean room and an indian room and others okay more and more aromas and smells and food more and more and there was no end to it and my appetite was not big enough to fully enjoy it all and so it is with knowing jesus as you begin to know him there is more and more and more and it's like there's no end and it's like our appetite is not big enough to fully enjoy Him. He's really worth knowing. He is really worth knowing. The surpassing worth of knowing Him. Now maybe, maybe you, some of you can't relate to this. Maybe you're thinking, now I yeah I know Jesus but to be quite honest a lot of times I'm just not really like excited about him I mean and sometimes the whole thing is actually a little boring and I don't know maybe you don't really know him and it's likely that in this sized group that there are some people who are really struggling and who are thinking, you know, I, I'm like really close to just turning away from Christianity and all of this. And I would say, well, maybe you don't know him, the Jesus of Christianity. Maybe, maybe you don't know him because if you knew him... If you knew what he was like, you wouldn't wouldn't turn away. In fact, verse 15, Paul says, If you don't think this way, God will reveal it to you. (laughs) If you don't think this way, God will reveal it to you. So why don't you try again? Why don't you try again? Why don't you humbly step up to his infinite buffet and just ask him for a little taste? Lord, I don't know if I know you. Would you just give me a little taste of you, and then we'll go from there. And maybe even now it starts with a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He really is worth knowing. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, this is your word, this is your revelation. And you're telling us that we can come to you in our desire to know you, even if it's a weak desire, and that you will reveal yourself to us? Would you do that? And would you do that even at this table this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.